0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello Be Awesome listeners, you are listening to episode 15 of the Awesome podcast and I am in a Starbucks in... Madison, Wisconsin today, and uh, with a great guest, Uh, first lesson I'll tell you guys is the answer is always no until you ask, Uh, and that can end up in uh, a Starbucks in Madison, Uh, New England guy getting ready for the big Sunday night football. Uh, I'm with a great inspiration by the name of David Cooks. He uh, is the author of a book, Getting Undressed, From Paralys- Paralysis to Purpose. And uh, we'll get into that. Uh, I met David, uh, I've met him for the first time in person today. Uh, I met him on LinkedIn via connecting with him, about well, three years ago. I want to say it was Steve Hibbard from Concordia University. It's a mutual contact. He uh, had, had shared a, a comment, a motivation thing. And I'm like, wow, this guy is really... Uh, inspirational and followed him for a couple of years and uh, liked a lot of his stuff and commented on a number of things and then this summer he made the announcement of his book and the title of it made me want to look into it and I said I wonder what happened to him because I never looked to realize anything other than the headshot that was on LinkedIn I never thought a basketball coach and uh, everything that he's done he would have uh, been paralyzed since an early point in time in his life And uh, so this week I I read his book, I put a post out uh, on LinkedIn, and then uh, yesterday I sent a message and said, hey man, I'd love to do a podcast. He said, let's make it happen. And he happens to live in Milwaukee, I'm moving to Madison, so... Uh, here we are. Sorry for the background noise if it's too much, but uh, hope you guys get some uh, some good some good takes out of this. But I want to, I want to welcome David uh, to to the podcast. I want to talk about your book, but let's let's hear a little bit about you. Tell us your story. How did you get here to Starbucks today? Well, <laughs> well first of all, thank you. It's
1: good to be on your podcast. You're doing great work, and just to be a part of this is really outstanding. Uh, you know, I, it, it's it's good to be here. I uh, I drove up today, obviously, uh, to meet you, and uh, I'll talk a little bit about my background. Uh, I am 54 years old now, but really, what is most important is not what happened to me at 15 years old, where, where I had a spinal aneurysm that impacted my spinal cord and left me a wheelchair user the, the last 39 years. Uh, but more importantly, is what has happened to my life since then, and all the different steps that I, I've been able to take. And some of the successes I've had, and that's really um, probably the, the idea behind the book is to show people it's not necessarily what happens to you, but it's what
0: you do with what happens to you that counts. Right, right. And what do you take with it? what do you what do you do with it following Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's spinal aneurysm. I actually never heard of that until reading your book. You know, and you're you're one of
1: millions <laughs> uh, because it's so rare. Even doctors uh, that I see the first time they see me and that kind of stuff. They're like, what, what was that again? And they have to go back and research it. It's very rare. You know, normally you'll have a aneurysm. You hear about them in people's brains, hearts, stomach, that type of stuff. But to have one on your spinal cord, to literally have a blood vessel
0: erupt on your spinal cord out of the blue is, is very, very rare. And, and we're going to get into your book, but you were, a, you were, you know, your upbringing, you grew up in Milwaukee. Uh, basketball was was your life I mean playing basketball yeah I'm a, I'm a city kid up in Milwaukee uh, love the playgrounds
1: you know that, that was back when you would go to the playground to play yeah and uh, we would play as much as possible I uh, I loved the game my goal I had one goal and that was just to play high school basketball I wasn't thinking about playing college or or the NBA or anything like that my other goal was to be a business yeah. and so the basketball piece I loved it played it all the time Um, I actually got to be pretty decent you know the the longer I tell the story the better I was because there's no there's no uh, YouTube or anything from back (laughs) from back in the day Uh, but I just loved it and um, I never let it go you know I had to change what I did once I stopped walking Um, but up until that time I was a classic teenage boy uh, that loved to play ball and uh, did it
0: non-stop yeah well that's great and and uh and then there was a period of time in the book that, you know, there was, it's, you know, you had the rehab and everything else, but it, it really didn't indicate to me that basketball ever got out of your mind, even for a, a second. Uh, it's, it stayed, it stayed with you at some level or some capacity, not necessarily to play, although you did do some, some playing in, in a wheelchair basketball, but it's, it seemed like it never, never left. Yeah. That, that desire and that love for the game
1: never left. You know, I, uh... I didn't know what I was going to do with that. I never, I never knew that I'd be a coach eventually. Uh, but I just wanted to stay connected because it was such a fun game, yeah. and it was such, such a part of my a pivotal part of my life as a youngster. And I was so young when all of this happened. That was probably the one thing I gravitated toward that I probably didn't really realize that I was actually doing. Yeah. And so uh, attending games and and being around the being around the sport really helped me a lot. I think that um, although my my ability to play the game was hampered. My passion for the game was not. And so I had to figure out a way to now, how how do I fulfill this passion or follow this passion of this game? And So like you mentioned, I was able to do some wheelchair basketball that kind of got me going. And then after that, I start coaching and, you know, the rest is kind of history, as they say.
0: Yeah. Uh, I got to tell you, there were so many moments in your book when I was reading it that I was like, man, David, he must be a hell of a salesman because there was just when I opened this with the answers always no until you ask, there were countless examples of how no was not, not really an option with you and you weren't afraid to ask anybody. One of the one of the good ones was going to get to your, your gig with Coach K at Duke University. You know, you just kept going and you and you and you talked to anybody that would, would, would listen and you gave your article because you didn't have your resume in your bag and all that stuff. I mean, that was just unbelievable persistence. Yeah, you know, one one of the things I think I've
1: learned was early on was how to leverage endings into beginnings yeah and so um as long as there's time on the clock that's my that's my motto if there's time on the clock then I can still play this game some way somehow (laughs) and so um none of these no's that that I have experienced were final they were just kind of like okay let me see if there's another way to do this let's see how we can get this done so um I didn't know any better as a youngster to go visit the CEO at the bank I worked for because no one told me I couldn't do it. Right. And so I did a lot of things because I guess I thought I should and there wasn't a rule that said I couldn't. <laughs> and so once I did and started to do these things, opportunities began to begin to happen because I asked and because I just a little bit of persistence goes a long way. As long as, you, as long as you have some gas in the tank and you can bring something to the table, I think it does help with those
0: situations. Yeah, I got to tell you, when I read that, that that paragraph where Coach K said, you know, I, I, I read about you, I got the article, I want to talk to you, do you get some time? I mean, that, that feeling right there was like a huge W, and I felt it. Like, I could just imagine how you must have felt and just going into that and then saying, I'm going to do whatever. And truly, you know, that, that big piece is... Uh, realizing that you will do whatever you need to do to get to wherever it is you need to go with integrity and everything else intact but when I say that I mean you were filling water bottles and and you were you were running around doing things catching balls and doing all sorts of stuff right I mean most people would say well that's but that's that's beneath me or that's whatever you you, you took that as a great opportunity you know sometimes we miss opportunities looking for a different opportunity. And I,
1: and I just believe you take advantage of everything that you're given uh, because you don't know where it's going to take you. I, you talk about being juiced up when he said, I want to talk to you. I was like, you want to talk to me? <laughs> well, let's get this on. <laughs> let's go. <you> know? <laughs> and so, um, but it wasn't my first time with Small Beginnings. In you know, My very first job, I filed, I filed checks
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and, and for a bank and counted coins. And that led to other things. So I, I had some experience understanding how not to defy Small Beginnings but how to make sure that I was doing the best I could with what I, whatever I could. Yeah. Because I began to understand that my life, my life is telling a story and my life is getting a message. Mm-hmm. And how I do what I do is important. And that was a lot of what happened. I didn't have a network, but I had my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have a bunch of people that I knew, but I, I had my integrity. And to me, that started to open up doors for me as I got older. Like said, I was 28 years old when Coach K asked me if I would fill up water bottles was and wash clothes. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> for many, that would have been offensive. But I was at school to get my MBA anyway, so I'm done to get my degree out, of whether I do this or not. But who else would get a chance to do that yeah. in that situation? And yeah. so,
0: why not? And that, in your time there, I think there was a, there were national champions once. Yes, they were, the 91-92 season was the second of a
1: back-to-back championship that had uh, Christian Leitner and Grant Hill and Bobby Hurley and those guys a part of the program, and what a great, what a great time to be there. You know, sometimes, um, not sometimes, probably all the time, timing is essential to success, and so I just happened happen to be at the
0: right time, the right place, all those sorts of things to, to really be a part of something special. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's great. And, and, and uh, I can tell you that a whole bunch of people probably uh, would say that in that season, they would have gone from being offended to say, man, I would fill up Gatorade bottles and be part of that winning team and to be able to watch and experience that. And I mean, you started. out, you were just going to the. You were going to the practices, right? That was it. I was just going, and I was sitting in the corner, stay out of the way, kind of watch and
1: observe. Didn't bother anybody, and eventually that led to a number of other things. So, so that that uh, that small beginning um, wasn't wasn't so small after all. Yeah. Well, uh,
0: it's all right. I'm sorry. I'm going to go into this book because I, I literally I, I earmarked about fifty pages, and when I read a book, um, if I earmark a couple. Uh, I'm happy. Like, you know, if I get one good thing, one good nugget of knowledge out of a book, then it's worth me reading and that could be a, a huge opportunity financially or personally, mentally, whatever. But I, I can tell you, I get so many great, one, you know, lines out of this and, and mindsets that I'd love to just kind of go into this and maybe ask a few questions or, or give some of my thoughts on it. Um, and so Absolutely. Let's do it. The, the, the first one was, um, the first one was your, your, uh, you know, you're you're in the you're in with your doctors after after they do the surgery and after you're finding out that you're gonna be paralyzed most likely for the rest of your life. And they're telling you all the things that you can't do. Right? And you stopped them and shocked them by saying, hey guys, let's get away from the things we can't do. Let's talk about the things we can do. I mean was that mindset always innate in you? Was that something, or was that just like, were you just tired of listening to it at that time? Like, how did that happen? It's probably a little bit of both. You know, I, I
1: think um, I was I was still um, clinging on to whatever hope I had to get back in that gym. Yeah. And so I didn't really, I wasn't interested in what I couldn't do. Because why? Why? What, what benefit is that to me? And so I wanted to know what it was I could do so I could focus on that. Um, it was difficult enough to have that tragic of a transition in your life for them to continue to pound the negativity at you. And I don't think that was um, what they meant to do, but I think as doctors sometimes they just want you to understand, here's our, here's our analysis and here we go. Well, I appreciate that, but as long as there's time on the clock, yeah. it's a chance for me to play the game. And so my focus always was, my parents always taught us, um, just do the best you can with what you have. And so I had something left. You know, I still can use my arms. I still can get around. So tell me the things that I
0: can do, and let me build on those. Yeah. That's, that's, a, uh, that's a great example for, for everyone in any situation. It could be something big or small. But, and I mean, it could be, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a sales background. It could be someone coming and giving, getting, giving a quota, and I go, well, I can't do that. I can't, you know. But what can I do? Why don't I focus on what I can do opposed to putting all the obstacles in the way of the things that I can't get to and see what that looks like. And it could be uh, any number of things, but all too often we focus on things that we can't do, we can't go to, we can't be a part of, whatever. And we don't look at the things that, well, yeah, I can do this, you know. Um, I, I... I, I, I I'm amazed that we, we could make this happen, right? We, right. Could, we could do we, it, we, right? We could do we this had, right. we had a mindset of, well, I'm in Milwaukee and I'm in Madison, I'm going to the Dells in the opposite direction. We can't, we can't possibly. We put it together, right? We put something together and you drove all the way over here and did absolutely. all this stuff. So that's that's a that's that's a great a great way. Of, I mean, 15 years old to have that mindset and to, and so essentially, from the best that I can gather from LinkedIn and our communication limited communication, reading this book it seems like that's carried with you. Your old life. It's interesting. I, I didn't realize it until I wrote the book
1: and I started to look back and, and then, uh, I found articles and stuff that had been written, written about me when I was 15 years old. And many of the things that I was saying now, I was saying then. So I, I credit my parents an awful lot for instilling those kind of values in us, and, and also for my parents not uh, accepting anything other than excellence. They, they, I, they didn't care about the wheelchair. That wasn't even an issue for them. I needed to still do the things I was supposed to do and, and be the kind of kid I was supposed to be, and I think that really helped me a lot uh, because there was no there was no feeling sorry for me or anything like that. It was like, look, man, if you're gonna live here,
0: you need to make sure you still do what you need to do. And that was kind of your first example of of, of the uh, undressed uh, was getting home. You know, after rehab and and while you got to move your room from da- upstairs to downstairs, you still had a whole lot of adjustment to do, um, and and you had help. But I mean, that was a lot of work, and it was kind of like you, you need to. You need to put in the, the work to figure it out yeah you know of the,
1: the, the whole concept of, of the title for the book because people ask me this all the time it came from a, an experience I had in rehab and I remember the day when they taught you how to how to get dressed because you have to relearn everything I mean people don't quite understand that but you're learning everything over and the day, the day I learned how to get dressed was I was juiced up I was really hyped because that was that was independence that was a, a move forward um, and then that night i'm in the room by myself and there's an emergency and there's no one to help me get undressed so you know what do i do i got to figure this out because if i want to go home and i want to be truly independent then this is the next step in that process so i got undressed that night uh it took me a little while and and we were able to figure it out and that continued when i got home because as you mentioned I mean, we had a a city home with a bungalow with steps everywhere and and small doors and all that. And we just had to figure out how to make it work.
0: And that's what we did. Well, that was you know later in the book, and I'm not going to give up too much because I really think everyone should read this. Is a, this is a solid read, uh, and it's an it's an easy read. 198 pages or 202 pages, including the epilogue, like that. It's, it's, it's easy read. Uh, but you were the first you were the first wheelchair student in your school when you went back to Marquette, right? Yes. Um, so you were the first first wheelchair student they ever had there. So there was. Uh, a lot of a lot of adjustment there that had to be made from, and especially some places you were used to or comfortable with, not being in a wheelchair. A lot of relearning. Uh, yes. that, that I, you know,
1: I, I tell I tell people, my parents in the school, they didn't have time to adjust to this either. We were no, none of us were given the luxury of time when this happened. We had to hit it and move really quick. And uh, the high school, you know, this was back in 1979, 1980. ADA stuff was just starting to come out, and so this is an old historic building, and so I found out where the tunnels were and, and how to get around, and um, but it was, I think it was valuable lessons just on um, not complaining and just to push through, literally push through and figure out again, you're going to be in school here, how do you make this the best experience that you can? Just make it the best experience. They didn't say there wouldn't be negative things that would happen, but how do you make it the best experience that you can make it?
0: Absolutely. Uh, you, say, you say in the book, uh, obstacles only change the direction we must take to reach our goals, they don't change our goals. That is, uh, that is, a, that is a great line there. Um, and you know what, I, never, I, didn't, I don't think I've ever looked at it that way or, or thought about it, but I think it's gonna be one of my lines in my, in my office. Uh, you know, because I, I use I used the term yesterday with someone that said that they they made a post on LinkedIn. They said that they had some stumbling blocks, and I said, well, make your stumbling blocks your stepping stones." Um, but you also need to figure out. You know, you also need to realize that when you do hit a roadblock or an obstacle, that there is a directional change that changes. you have to take a conscious one. Otherwise, you're just going to keep banging your head off, the absolutely, and not not have progress.
1: We do it. We do it literally when we drive. Yep. We do it literally when we drive. If there's construction in the road or something, we don't decide not to go where we're going. Mm -hmm. We take another route. We detour, get around, and we still get to our destination. So I think we do it um, uh, subconsciously, but I think sometimes when it's a personal challenge, we look at that a little differently.
0: Yeah. Um shifting gears a little bit, uh, you talk a bit about your friends growing up, and I, I, just, I just want to touch on this because I think this is so incredibly vital and important, and this was the early 80s, and this was before Facebook and before all this stuff, and I think social media's got a place uh, for everything, and I think that this is just, a, a, to fight it is, is, is you know, in social, social media in general or anything, is, is, it's not going anywhere. Um, but what it's done, sadly, is it's built this mindset or mentality of like-minded thinkers only sitting, the, the people that have the same political beliefs, religious beliefs, everything. And I just thought this was a great a great intro to your friends, your four friends that helped you, which we were an eclectic circle of friends with diverse backgrounds, personalities, political leanings, religious outlooks, and economic, economic statuses. And you guys all got along and worked together, and one of them actually pushed you up for high school graduation, for you to get your diploma, that's something that's just so incredible because you don't see and hear that too much today, Uh, and I think we need to get back to that. I think we do. I was fortunate enough
1: to have those guys in my life, and to still have them in my life today, Mm -hmm. and I'm a believer that you can get along with anybody you want to, if you want to, Mm -hmm. and... These guys, um, and like I said, we all had differences, but we also had a common goal. They all wanted to help me. But they wanted to help make my life be the best that it could be during those high school years. And each of them, in their own way, did certain things for me. And you're right, I mean, that's that's hard to do these days with, with, with how we communicate and that kind of stuff, but it's still possible. Yeah. You've got to be intentional about that. And these guys were intentional about being in my life, I was intentional about receiving what they could give me, giving back to them. And so that to me was uh, an early lesson on the whole conversation about diversity and getting along with people. I learned that uh, through my own adversity. Mm-hmm. So I learned adversity. I learned I learned diversity through adversity wow. and
0: how to do that. <laughs> That's cool. So, that is really cool. I think one of the other pieces is, is being open-minded, you know, being open-minded and also being Um, I guess more understanding when when someone's passionate about something to to appreciate and respect it don't fault them for it you can have a difference of opinion but there's no need to go full on on angry with with, with folks because they don't have you know right now it's political groups I mean political politics is just crazy right now with with, you know the division of People not being friends and unfriending and doing all this right, stuff because right. someone didn't vote for Hillary, didn't vote for Trump, or whoever. Right. Uh, the most important thing is just be decent human beings. These these four absolutely were. Yes. Uh, oh, absolutely. They were great people. Yeah. They were just good people. Right. And so,
1: you know, all that hating and all that division—that's unnecessary. And I think people can choose how they want to live. And I and I choose to to give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, give them a chance yeah. try to appreciate where they're coming from I don't have to necessarily agree with it like you said but what I need to do is respect them yeah. and hear them out and once once we hear each other out I think things change people just want to be heard yeah and nowadays you don't get a chance to even say anything this touch you off yeah uh,
0: and and on your friends there was one really cool thing that uh, I feel in a lot of people uh, a lot of younger folks, specifically, uh, are challenged with failure. And I love to read about Jim and his family. They weren't afraid of failure, but more importantly, they believed in the power of possibilities. What a great way to be. What a great way to think and, and to share that with, with others, not just themselves, something yes. that's pretty powerful. Yep, And that helped me begin to
1: see what I could do. You talked about you know the whole thing about doctors telling me what I couldn't do. Mm-hmm. But then I have people in my life now showing me unbelievable possibilities Mm -hmm. and that there was a lot more that I could do. And that that, that helped me a ton.
0: Yeah. And... you had a friend. You had a friend that had some alcohol and drug drug issues, and I think this is a, a really uh, powerful way to look at things when we when we look at our lives, and then we look at someone that's drug addicted or out doing alcohol. I thought this was really incredible how you position this, which is, Gary was trying to figure out how to live the rest of my life, and he was trying to figure out how not to waste the rest of his life. That was that. that had to have been first of all. It had to have been a really challenge for you, because you're looking at someone that has the rest of his life to look forward to, and is destroying. And you're trying to figure out what do you do for the rest of your life. Yeah, that was that relationship
1: may have been one of the most uh, beneficial for me. Uh, because uh, he was never going to leave this relationship mm-hmm. uh, as, as we were on polar opposites in terms of our social life and that kind of stuff but he was attracted to the fact that I, that I, I had character and integrity and I was, I was attracted to his commitment to me You know, I hadn't had it because he was my guy you know and so um, to, to go through that with him and to, to watch him navigate through some of those things that part that changed my life too. That that gave me hope that even though people are struggling, you know, you don't have to. That's not who they necessarily. Are. That's their struggle. And I got to know him outside of his struggle, and then I could help him
0: with his struggle. And yeah. that was outstanding. Yeah, and and he cleaned up his act, and he's he's doing much better. Towards the end of the book, he was, you know, you you he came out to visit you at school when you had the radio station and all that. That was. That was so incredible to read because as I read it, um, and I was kind of hitting on the heartstrings, I, I I couldn't wait to hear an update of some sort because it was it left left me in limbo for a little while. I was like, oh no, I hope something didn't happen to him. Or, right. it was great to know that you, you continued that friendship and relationship. You didn't give up, and he yeah. didn't give up. And now talk nice. to him this week. Yeah. And so uh, great, great guy. Good guy. Good. Um, I had to put I have to put this one out because uh, just it just. Uh, as I was reading it, I was—I I remembered one of my first jobs was delivering newspapers. Just so when you were writing, when you were telling the story about you know one of the worst parts of doing the job was delivering the Sunday papers. I just immediately had this flashback being 12 years old and having those monstrous uh, Sunday papers, that wrapped the rubber band around, and I couldn't fit them in the, the, the cloth bag they give you for the front handlebars of your bicycle, so your mom or dad had to drive you around, so you had to get them up early. And I can remember uh, one of my childhood friends, I friends, think it was Danny Miller, he used to he'd stay over, I think, purposely on Saturdays to do the Sunday thing, because it was just funny it was just comical, you know having me run around jump out of the car and throw mm-hmm. the papers around and I hated it I absolutely I absolutely hated it. I hated everything about the paper delivery business and my parents were like you're going to get up and you're going to go deliver those newspapers and the day papers all the other six days the newspaper didn't come to your house till four o'clock absolutely and then Sundays it was there at four a.m. and they expected it to be on the doorsteps at four oh one yes and it was kind of hard to do when you had a hundred newspapers to deliver you couldn't get them all at the same time no you couldn't but you know that's, that's funny that's We need some of those days back.
1: I think it it taught us both probably work ethic. Yeah, um, because my folks were the same way. I was obviously I was walking then when I did that, and my brother worked with me too. So um, those those were funny days. and and, and, And like you, I. I did not like Sunday morning at three o'clock. Like,
0: <laughs> but that didn't matter in my house. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't matter what time. Uh, it doesn't matter what, what what time it is. It's something that you need to do. It's got to get done, and you got to go to it. So, um, very much, very much how we uh, we grew up. Um, we, you and I talked about this beforehand, um, but something that you were teaching your students. So you started, so you got into teaching. So, you know, you went from. Um, You went from 15 and having this happen to you to rehab, to graduating high school, to getting into college, to going for your MBA, and working with Coach K. And now you're smack dab right back to your old alma mater at Marquette, and you've got an opportunity to be a... Economics, economics teacher, yeah. yeah, economics teacher, and so you took you took advantage of the opportunity. And one of the things that was great was um, you were talking about how your exams were no joke. You double quiz. Nobody told you you couldn't do it, so you went ahead and did it, which is great. I might not have liked it too much. I love the the, the Rubik's cube rubric uh, confusion, but absolutely, uh, this is a great one. In order to teach my students that we never have as much time as we think we have, I ask them to complete more problems in less time than what they would have seen on the AP exam and pushing that. Um, because I my take on it is, you know, we don't know what we don't know as far as what we can do and how long we can do it. They don't know, and you probably had a pretty good idea, so you were gonna push them to give them a minimal amount of time with a maximum opportunity to learn and get things done. Um, but I just thought that was really cool because people always think they got time. i I got time, I'll get to it, and, and all that. And that, that was part of my lesson
1: to them is that, you know, don't wait you know, so some things you don't need to delay, and because you really don't know how much time you have, um, but as I said in the book, your ability to endure is always greater than your willingness to endure, so that means you can get through more than you think you can, you're not going to be willing to do it, once you do it, once you're in it, uh, you'll be amazed at the, the power of the human spirit, the human will, and what you can actually deal with and come out on the other side, okay. Yeah. And that was part of it. That was part of it. I love the classroom because there were so many life lessons that I could teach these young men as we were going through. And uh, like you said, it probably wasn't the most exciting time for them getting those double quizzes. <laughs> I even gave a quiz within an exam once. Yeah. Because nobody said I couldn't. <laughs> and um, But I tell you what, that if they learned a lot, they grew a lot, I grew a lot. Uh, because, again, it helped me get back to one of my key principles, and that's building relationships. And that's one of the things I think I'm gifted to do, and that is to connect with people and reach people. And that's why I've been uh, you know, fairly successful as a coach in the classroom and those things, because that skill just manifests. I tell people, your your purpose will manifest wherever you are because of the skill set that comes with the purpose.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So whether I'm on the court or in the classroom, Starbucks, yeah. it's going to manifest because that's who you, who I really am. Yeah. And I tell people, if you're struggling with what you're doing, you may not be in your purpose. Mm-hmm. There's, there's probably going to be some natural giftings that you have, and you got to sharpen those. And it should be something that's enjoyable, it's fun, it's kind of easy for you to do, but it makes a difference in other people's lives.
0: Yeah, well, you just you hit a point, and I'm going to come back to your the the ability and, and the endure. Um, but you just said you just said a spot that you touch on in the book, which is, you know, if you're unhappy enough, then you need to change what you're doing, and that could be your job, your school, your whatever. And I think too many people, and I've had two experiences of this in the last week, which was crazy to me. I've had two conversations this week when I asked someone how they were doing, and it ended up with, there's not many people that are really happy with their job, right? But I don't know, I don't know many people that are really happy with their job, and I'm sitting here going, well, why not? Like, why, why aren't you happy? Are you making an actual effort to find that happiness? Or are you just sitting back on Easy Street just going, oh, it's a paycheck, or, you know what, want to get pay too much. And I think it's unbelievably admirable and, and very unique to read through this and see the sacrifices that you made financially to find the things that you loved mentally and emotionally. And you gave up a lot. I mean, at one point you gave up 60% or 70% of your pay, with a good paying job, really getting to do what you thought you wanted to do which was be a banker right Right. and and then you're 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 back teaching and coaching and doing all this stuff at a fraction but you had fulfillment I'll tell you what Um,
1: money can't buy fulfillment and the feeling that you get from it I try to tell people that the return I got and the return I continue to get from seeing people's lives positively impacted I mean I, I can't put a price tag on yeah, you know, I, I, I just can't do yeah. that. And so, um, once you find that, once you find whatever that is that you're that you're wired to do, um, money no longer is a part of the equation. We all want to get paid. Let's just put that out
0: yeah. there. But that doesn't become a driving force but behind what you do. Well, we are at Starbucks. I mean, I so we do need to get we do need to get paid. They don't want us to sit here for free. That's right. Uh, but I do get free refills because I think I'm like a gold status here. So I can yeah. stay here for a while. That's fantastic. Bottom, bottomless cup. But now you're happy that we met here, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, you got a, uh, so your, your kids made a uh, number one liners. Uh, what's cooking board? And I really like this one. Hard work doesn't pay off. It makes you tired. Um, as one of those things where
1: I think that there are so many things that we just accept because we hear them over and over. Yeah. And I, I heard it a lot in, in the basketball arena, you know, that um, if you work hard, you get an opportunity. I'm like, well, no, I expect you to work hard. And then if your skill set is good enough, you'll get a chance. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there... That was when I used to tell the guys all the time, I said, I'm not going to pay you uh, uh give you a grade in my class just because you did your homework, because that's my expectation. The expectation is to work hard, and when you get done working, you should be tired. Mm-hmm. That's your reward. Yeah.
0: You should get a sense of, I've accomplished something, because I had to really put out to do that. Well, my favorite one is, uh, if you roll around in dog poop, <laughs> you're going to smell like dog poop. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't get any more <laughs> visual, doesn't get more visual than that, um, but I mean that was that I, I that just made me chuckle. I mean there was a long list of them, but you know one of the things that's interesting about that is, and, and it's not said in the book, but kids obviously cared. So you, you were hard on them. You're doing quizzes inside of exams. You were you were making them work. You were, you were you were pushing the time limits. you were making them do all this stuff. But they cared enough to take the time to build the cooking board to put all these line, one liners up to make people laugh, and probably to make you smile, too. So that had to have been awful rewarding for you. You know, I,
1: I uh, it was. And I think the thing that the guys in the class knew and my players have known is that I really, I really do have a genuine concern for their well-being. Mm-hmm. And I think once they realized that, that I wasn't just putting them through the ringer just just for my own sake, um, then they, they began to want to run through the wall for me. And that was the that was the reciprocal uh, situation that we had there, yep. and, and absolutely, I mean it was it was fun for me. I mean, I I, I like to have fun. I'm, I'm not a, a real starchy guy. I wasn't trained how to teach, so I just taught the way I coached. And the one liners and stuff they would come and, and I didn't know what they were doing. They would get up in the middle of class and go put it up on the board. <laughs> and I was like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> and so eventually that became part of part of the class, and and yeah, it was great because. Uh, Sometimes when you're in the middle of tough situations, and APECon was not easy for Mm -hmm. a lot of these guys, you need to learn how to laugh. Yeah. You need to learn how you know just kind of back up a little bit and not take yourself so seriously. Mm -hmm.
0: And I think the guys uh, in the classroom really, really understood that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, on the the back of your book, in which you talked about, is your ability to endure is always greater than your willingness to endure. I think that's a great tagline for folks and and, and, and a realization and a a mindset that people need to push themselves and and we need to push each other Uh, because greatness doesn't happen by just doing average. Greatness doesn't happen by just showing up. Uh, Greatness doesn't happen by um, just getting part of the way. I mean, I shared with you the the climb in episode 13 of the post-climb is hopefully this week's going to be an active podcast week. I was going to have one podcast um, right now, I'm trying to splice episode 13 uh, so that people don't think that just if they're listening for the first time, they don't. If episode 13 is the first episode. I don't want to think that I'm some sobbing sap that <laughs> cries in a parking lot, yeah, right, right. you know. So I need I need to put have uh, one of one of my great people that's helping me with this splice some stuff together so there's there's right. some content to it. Yeah. Um, but got this with you, and I actually have a, a third one with our uh, CEO uh, Dude Solutions for the second time ed rosich and he did uh he he attempted 215 mile in the woods over 72 hours and he got 76 miles into it in about 21 hours and he had to you know it was the timing his his time wasn't going to get him to finish and he was going and having some challenges but i mean thinking about that i go 76 like your your mindset has got to be laser focused on i am going to stick to this and not that carries in everything we do, right? That carries in, in what you do. That carries in what I do. And we have to constantly remind ourselves, because our mind is our worst enemy and our greatest ally, right? It's Absolutely. our worst enemy because it, it wants you to quit all the time. It doesn't want to put work on it. It's like, hey, I can do all of this. But our mind is incredibly strong at getting us through anything, but can also prohibit us to get to anything. Absolutely. You know, I think people often
1: ask me, did I ever have the why me? questions and all that kind of stuff. And I think I think I did for all of about ten seconds because then immediately it came to my mind, why not me? And by that I meant uh, I understood that I was gonna be able to get through this okay. And how I understood that was that when I was in rehab and I began to see people my my, my uh, roommate was a quadriplegic. He could hardly do much on his own. And there were people there that had brain uh, brain injuries and couldn't move at all. And it gave me the right perspective. At that moment, people ask me, what was the defining moment for me? It was that moment right there when I realized that I wasn't as bad off as I thought I was and that I got this Mm -hmm. and I'm going to make it through this. And that perspective, that changed everything. Um, And I tell people all the time, if you got it, you can handle it. Because your ability to endure always exceeds
0: your willingness to endure, always. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can't can't agree with that more. And it's, you know, you can have beliefs, whatever it is, whether it's religion or whatever um, it is, but the belief at the end of the day, most importantly, is that you have to believe whatever it is that gives you that drive. You have to believe that you got this and that you can handle it and that whatever is handed to you, is handed to you for a reason that you can you can tap, and mm-hmm. you just need to you need to focus on it. And uh, I think that's the single most yeah. attribute um, man is given, and that's the
1: ability to believe, mm-hmm. because that changes everything. Because yeah. whatever you believe dictates how you live. Right. And without the ability
0: to believe, that, I don't know where we would be. Correct. Right. Well, does that say that? that uh, and now I'm drawing a blank because we got orders planned around here. <laughs> but it's that whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. Yes. You know, and it's what you what you believe and what you allow your mind to tell you. Absolutely. So, um, you know, this has been, first of all, this has been one of the most uh, interesting experiences. Uh, David brought me to what he thought was going to be the quietest Starbucks in Madison, and I think the entire University of Madison has come in here for a decade. I have made it through 38 minutes in here with, with uh, my New England Patriots hat and my uh, Tom Brady socks, uh, with just a couple of hours to go before the game was played here. I mean, to be in Wisconsin, playing the Patriots, five and a half point favorites, and making it through this podcast, I was unsure of, but... David closing up. you know first of all thank you for taking the time thank you for driving down here to make my drive to the Dells a little bit easier but how can people get a hold of you what are you doing share with your book contact. okay um, you can uh, get a hold of me I have a website
1: it's DavidCooksspeaks.com. Uh and on there you can order the book and uh, you can contact me about speaking uh, I've been doing keynotes and workshops and all those types of things so um, that's the best way I'm, I'm on social media LinkedIn Instagram Facebook you know, uh, Twitter, all of those places too, and um, that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm excited about the book, and that is impacting and changing lives. Uh, um, one of the things that happened with this book, and I didn't share this with you, I got a, I got an email from a person that read this book, and they had been struggling with cigarettes for 35 to 40 years, almost two packs a day, and they had tried to stop before. And after reading this book, they've been off now a month and a half. And I, that, that just blew my mind. They felt so inspired after reading the book that she felt that this was a time for her to go ahead and do this. Uh, if I don't sell another book, I don't give another speech, it's been worth it just because of that right there.
0: Yeah, yeah that's, and, and I, countless stories. I, I, I would, same way, uh, deal with the speaking. Uh, so many instances and it's just that one person and you know when i started doing this i had this this unrealistic idea that 100 i needed to get through 100 percent of the people and i drew that down to one Not 1%, one percent one person if i can help impact one person's life in a positive manner then I've succeeded even if 99 of them don't like me and they know everything that one makes a difference like you I mean you, you you essentially extended someone's life by them realizing that they had to make a change and talking to you or reading your book that's fantastic so um, I'm going to put your your website uh, on my my page I'm going to share this on my social media uh, as always guys uh, thanks for listening thanks for making it with me here for these 15 episodes David thank you for your time you can always find me at josh at beawesome.com. That's B-E-A-U-S-M dot com, uh, beawesome.com. You can go on buy shirts. We hit the $1,000 mark for uh, helping out the uh, wonderful uh, Fairbanks Youth Advocate group. We're going to be giving at least $1,000, but I'm still giving $3 of every shirt sold between now and December 2nd before I go up there with Santa Claus and make and make a uh, out to them. But I really appreciate everybody's support buying the shirts. And, uh, you know, we've got two shirts left for... for um, for people that make reviews and, re- and ratings and reviews on iTunes podcast, I've, as, as many of you that follow me on LinkedIn, my effort is to give 365 books minimum away that I purchase, that I ship, that I give to, to you, the audience, my friends, my family, people that wanna read and, and learn and grow. Uh, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna buy um, Five David, of David's books in the next five ratings and reviews, uh, I'm going to ship you out one of his books with one of my t-shirts uh, because I think it's a, worth reading. So um, in the meantime, you follow me on Facebook, uh, Instagram, same thing, LinkedIn, I'm doing more with my uh, new social media manager, uh, also known as my fiance Amy's going to be taking over at the helm with uh, with my marketing efforts and social media management because i am doing a terrible job of it partly because i'm traveling all over the place and meeting people in random locations to do these podcasts so uh in the meantime everybody thank you so much for listening you have made this journey an incredible one without you i couldn't be where i'm at today so uh, in order to do awesome you gotta be awesome have a great week